two minutes for goaltender interference, two minutes for roughing. Florida, number 12, has two minutes for roughing, and then every player on the ice has a 10-minute misconduct. Florida will have a two-minute power play. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Drop. Greg Wyshynski, Ardo Cal, here with you every Tuesday and Thursday, wherever you get your audio podcasts, as well on the NHL, on ESPN, YouTube. No shortage of news this week, Wish, right. for this episode. Uh, a lot dropped in the last 48 hours. So why don't we just dive into it? First things first, Patrick Kane, a new home, third original six team. He's going to Motown, the Mortar City, Hockey Town, USA, the Detroit Red Wings. And the first thing I want to say here, Wish, is that we know the Detroit Red Wings have a storied history of players wearing a Red Wings jersey for the first time and us being like, wow, this is going to take some getting used to. And that happened when the Red Wings tweeted pictures of Patrick Kane at practice for the first time. But your initial reaction to Kane selecting the Red Wings. Yeah, my, my reaction is your reaction, which is the Mike Madonna is strong in this one and how awkward it is to see <laughs> Patrick Kane wearing the wing wheel. I thought it was an AI-generated image when I first saw it because it does not, my brain can't process it is the thing. Uh, look, I, I think from uh, Kane's perspective, it's exactly what he was looking for. You know, he was he was looking to play uh, somewhere in the East. I, I think he's obviously been now collecting original six teams on his resume uh, since leaving Chicago. Um, there were, as I reported this week, multiple year offers on the table from other teams. But Patrick Kane and his representation wanted to just play out the rest of this year and uh, and then reevaluate things in the summer. Um, so they, the wings get him on one year, $2.75 million AAV. It's a great fit for Kane because, uh, he's not going to have to carry the team. I mean, they're going to give him a prominent role in the top six, but he's not going to be expected to carry the team. And it's a great place for him because he gets reunited with Alex to who he had incredible chemistry with when they were both with the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, the question for me though, Arda, this Detroit Red Wings team has been pretty good, pretty, pretty, pretty good off the hop. Do they need Patrick Kane? That's an interesting question because my thought was, and, and Emily Kaplan mentioned this on our broadcast the other day, that another finalist team was the Boston Bruins. So mm -hmm. I actually had the opposite thought of, I'm surprised in a way that he signed a one-year deal with the Detroit Red Wings because if those were the final two teams, you would just guess on paper that the Boston Bruins, especially given the start that they had, would have a longer or the potential to have a longer playoff run. So let me throw that back to you, like, I get the whole Debrinket connection. They were fantastic together in Chicago, and there's a great vibe about it. But to sign a one-year deal on a team where I guess you have a lot of belief there, like, is that a surprise from that angle? I, I guess it is in the sense that the the tacit endorsement of the Red Wings as a contender is a part of this decision. Like he had an offer on the table from the Bruins. He had an offer on the table from the Florida Panthers who went to the final last year. And we're like, come to, come to South Florida. The sun will feel so good on your hip. Uh, <laughs> you can play with Alexander Barkov. <laughs> like it was all there for him to go to the Panthers if he wanted to. But, you know, the tradition of the organization, the chance to play with Debrinket and, and the Red Wings said today, there's even a chance it may be Debrinket uh, Dylan Larkin and Kane on the same line, which is pretty remarkable. And from what I gather, he was also a pretty big fan of Derek Lalonde, who's a, a guy we've talked about before here on the drop, um, you know, second year coach with the Detroit Red Wings and has been a guy who is who's calming influence behind the bench and strategery 
to use a word uh, around the around the lineup has been really lauded as being one of the reasons why the wings have been so good. So a little surprised that it was Detroit at the end of the day for the sense of there may be some other teams you could maybe say were a bit more cemented as a playoff contender. Um, but he likes the upward mobility of this team. He likes the opportunity to afford him to be in the top six, get power play time. Um, assuming he's healthy, which is of course the elephant right. in the room, Arda. Do you do you believe we're gonna what percentage of showtime Patrick Kane? We'll say last year was about 60% of showtime when he was with yeah. the Blackhawks and the Rangers. What percentage of showtime are we getting now that he's had the hip resurfacing surgery? The one thing I just want to mention to what you just said was the connection with Lalonde. And Emily reported on this as well. Apparently, they were on the Zoom call first before Steve Eiserman came on. And they're both Western New York guys. You'll appreciate this. So they were bonding over their shared love slash, I guess, misery over being Buffalo Bills fans. So maybe that also kind of cemented things. The fact that they're like, what is our team doing this season? Ah, right. I mean, yeah, all, 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 all Pekane wants is somebody in his life that he can complain about Josh Allen interceptions to. And now he's got <laughs> exactly. him. He's behind the exactly. bench. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, if I were to put a number to Patrick Kane, I mean, he looks very happy in that in his first practice, but on the ice game time, I mean, you hope it's 100%, but I'd say 80. I mean, I don't think he's making a decision like this unless he's really raring to go. I feel like his motivation is going to be very high as well. So I'll say 80%. But, I mean, we can't answer that question fully until we see him for, like, 10 or 15 games, right? What do you think? I'm I'm nervous, man. I'm nervous. Like, he's talked about how he's not felt pain through the rehabilitation process. He's talked about uh, he's seeing improvement in his ability to cross over. And, and he, he's he's getting more agile as he works out. But um, we've seen more than a few players now have this surgery and come back and play a little bit. And then their careers are done. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Backstrom came back last season, tried to go again this season, had to literally walk away from the team because his, uh, his hip was bothering him so much and he simply didn't have it anymore like he used to. So I, I, technology can change. Everybody's body's different. Uh, you know, that Kane's probably gotten best in the world treatment insofar as the surgery and the rehabilitation. So my hopes are that he's 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 there. My hopes are we can get like 85 or 80 percent of what Patrick Kane used to be. But um, there are a lot of examples of this not necessarily being a surgery hockey players can have and then come back and remain in this league for more than, you know, just a, a season or a season and a half. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up and, and, and please let me know how you feel about this, Arda. Is Patrick Kane a traitor? He is a Chicago <laughs> Blackhawks icon who is now a member of the Detroit Red Wings. You're talking deep-seated hatred despite being in different conferences. You're talking about Bears fans hating Lions fans and vice versa. The thing that I find really interesting, by the way, in this is that not only were Blackhawks fans upset that Kane went to the Red Wings, Red Wings fans were upset that Kane was there. <laughs> like, like they don't know how to yes. process the fact yeah. that this guy that it's... they hate is now part of the team. Well, how do you feel about the the rivalry of it all and him going to the Red Wings? Short term, at best. Yeah, we Chicago Blackhawks fans still really hate Chris Chelios. Oh, boy. That hatred <laughs> is real. The fact he's on broadcasts now and he's beloved <laughs> in the city of Chicago. He's like the mayor of Chicago, for yeah. crying out loud. Uh, I think it's going to be short term. But no, no, going back to that point, like, you you mentioned Mike Medano, uh, you got Luke Robitaille, Wendell Clark, 
uh, who else? Boreas Salming, Daryl Sittler, like these players that had storied careers with other franchises and then near the tail end of their careers just end up going to the Detroit Red Wings. It's it, like it never ends. But to your point, though, like that's why I think it's OK, because, you know, OK, so we had the Rangers as a buffer between the Blackhawks and the Red Wings. Right. So you have a little bit of that. But I also think at the end of the day, I, I don't think Patrick Kane is going to be retiring as a Red Wing. Like, I, I feel like he is now entering his hockey Ronin phase. He's going to be a traveling samurai warrior going from team to team, much like we saw Yager do, much like we saw Jerome McGinley do. Maybe people forget, like, McGinley was the face of the flames. And then at, by the end of his career, he was an avalanche, a king, a Bruin, a pen, you know, so like. <laughs> I think we're going to see Patrick Kane play in a few places. Maybe he finishes collecting his his original six Pokemon at some point and plays for the uh, the other three teams. Uh, we know he'll play in Buffalo at some point. So I think as we see him, you know, playing through a few teams before the end of his career, hopefully if he's healthy, uh, it'll it'll feel less of a slight to see him yeah. wear the winged wheel for Chicago fans. How's this for a extremely random segue? Jerome McGinley, while in Boston, was randomly interviewed by a weather segment. It was a weather report, uh, and they didn't know he was Jerome McGinley. It was just a random streeter, uh, someone on the street, just talking about the weather. So Jerome was just Jerome in Boston, talking about the weather in that segment. Where else that has happened is the city of Vancouver on the Weather Network with Roberto Luongo, which brings us to our next guest to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. Very happy to have this guest here on ESPN's The Drop. He is the host of Hockey Night in Canada in Punjabi, as well as one of the esteemed voices of the Vancouver Canucks on their broadcasts. He is Randeep Janda, one of the uh, long-standing members of the hockey community in the broadcasting world as well. Randeep, uh, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, great to have you on the show. Before we dive into the Canucks, though, dude, I want to talk about, uh, well, first of all, congratulations on all your success. You just joined in as a member uh, of the Vancouver Canucks broadcast as a full-time analyst. How's it been going for you? Uh, thanks for having me. First of all, long-time listener, first-time uh, caller. So, guys, uh, it's awesome to be on with you. Welcome aboard. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, uh, wish you've been on the show on, on Vancouver Radio. Arda, you've been on Hockey Night Punjabi as well and the radio show. So, to, to be on your show, it, it means something special. In terms of uh, just being able to work uh, in hockey, work for the, the team I grew up watching. Uh, I've got the nameplate behind me here as well, which uh, a couple of years ago or last year, they gave it to me uh, as being a, as a broadcaster. It's, it's like any hockey fan, it's a, a dream come true, but uh, it's a little bit more fun when the team is winning. Let's put it that way. And it's been a good year in Vancouver thus far. Before we get to the current Canucks, who was your guy growing up? Who was your favorite player? I feel like everybody in my generation or around my age, I'm 37 years old, it's Pavel Bure, right? Like okay. whether you're in Vancouver, whether you were in Alabama, whether you were in Ontario, it doesn't matter. If you watch hockey, he, he excited you, right? Like there was that power, there was that pace, there was the flash, the dash, the flare. Uh, for me, Pavel Bure, I thought I was him in my driveway with the, the orange ball and playing ball hockey. Uh, clearly not. And that's why I'm sitting in the broadcaster seat now. So uh, I was a Bure guy. <laughs> All right, listen, so I, I go from the Russian Rocket to Brockett Richard, a.k.a. Brock Besser, currently leading the league in goals as we do the show. My concern is always health when it comes to Brock Besser staying in the lineup. 
But what has it been about him in particular? And we'll get to the rest of the people that are out kicking their coverage too. But what is it about his game right now that has accelerated to the point where he's on pace for over 60 goals this season? Yeah, with Brock, it's been, it's always been a, since his rookie year when, you know, he scored 29 goals, he won the All-Star Game MVP. There was all this, you know, this hype and this real, you know, optimism around him. And to your point, Wish, uh, this is a guy that struggled with his health. This is a guy that has struggled uh, to stay healthy. And it goes back to a uh, hit by Cal Clutterbuck back against the Islanders a few years ago, which really started that. And, you know, what's worked, it's a couple of things. Rick Tockett uh, has had a huge impact on not only Brock Besser, but throughout the lineup, just to be very direct. Uh, there's no messing about in terms of getting the message from the coach of what they need to do. So first and foremost, I think not only understanding that you're a player that needs to focus on offense, but to play a 200-foot game. This year, Brock Besser, he's the NHL leader in goals scored. Uh, but one of the things that he's he's really improved on is his all-around game. He's a tough player to play against. Uh, last year, two years ago, that was not the case. Uh, so, you know, being ready, uh, being uh, able to know, you know, where the puck's going to go, uh, the fine details of the game, of playing hard along the walls and, and going to those greasy areas, he's doing that now. Whereas a couple of years ago, you could argue he was – Kind of a perimeter player. The other thing I'd say is absolutely health has a lot to do with it. Brock's been pretty quiet on what he's changed this offseason. Uh, some people are talking about he's lifting different. His weight uh, exercise are a little different this year. But Brock, true to a uh, uh, form as a hockey player, didn't really divulge in what that meant. But a couple yeah. of things are different with him this year. <laughs> uh, the Canucks as a team, obviously, they've impressed many people around the hockey world. Being around them every day like you are, how impressed are you by this start? Uh, is this what you expected from this team? And how do you compare them to the other top teams in the Pacific like Vegas and L.A.? Well, heading into the year, I think there was generally a thought that this team would be more structured, right? Not necessarily the most exciting team to watch. We've seen talk at hockey in Arizona where <laughs> it was low scoring, low event, and he was okay with that. Mind you, they did have a bit of a skill deficit there where Arizona didn't have the star players that Vancouver did. Here in Vancouver, like this season, it's they're setting records, right? You know, they got four players with over 30 points. That's never done uh, been done in uh, in hockey history uh, up until this point in terms of game games played. But that was not the expectation here in Vancouver. Uh, my thoughts were that they'd be a competitive team duking it out for the wild card. Thought the, uh, the heavyweights in the division would be L.A., Vegas, and of course Edmonton, which uh, we've all been watching with kind of horror on our faces <laughs> in terms of what's going on there. They are turning around maybe. But um, overall, the strength of this team is two-pronged, right? You've got uh, a team that's better defensively, uh, one of the better goaltenders in the league. And really, what it comes down to is the structure in place. That allows them to have a bad game like they did against Anaheim for 40 minutes and be tired, but still win a game not playing their best hockey. Last year, the Vancouver Canucks probably lose that game and lose it quite handily. So it's between the ears and the structure for me. In terms of the road ahead, uh, listen, their schedule right now in the next couple of weeks is really, really challenging. Uh, it's going to be uh, a really you know interesting way to see how they play against Vegas uh, this week because that's a measuring stick game. I know Vegas hasn't played all that well thus far, guys, but you know some of the games that they've played this year – Against Dallas, they they passed with flying colors. New York, they lost that game, looked pretty good. Colorado, score was not flattering to them, but they were competitive. So when the teams are good, they've kind of 
played quite well. So that's why I'm looking forward to that game against Vegas on, on Thursday. So they don't hand out the Hart Trophy to defensemen a lot. Could you make the argument right now that Quinn Hughes is not only the MVP of the Canucks this season, but could be a candidate for the Hart? I think that argument can be made. It's early in the season. You've got to keep that up over 82 games, guys. But the guy's on pace. Let's focus on offense for a second. He's on pace for, what, 129 points or something that nature, which, you know, it's a great start to the season. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, this is a player that influences the game on offense and defense. And we're seeing the point production when he's up there in terms of point scoring. But the way that he can tilt the rink when he's on the ice is really mind-boggling. And the stats back that up. And adding Philip Ronick to that pairing, I was skeptical at the beginning of the year. I thought... You'd have to balance it out a little bit and not load up one pairing because then your you know your your final two pairings of defensemen are kind of weak and you don't have that depth. But guys, when these two guys are on the ice together, the opposition doesn't really have much of a chance, and that's pretty much been the case all year long. So for me, I think Quinn Hughes offensively is doing what he's doing, but defensively, there's always that talk about okay, he's not going to be that great. He, well, you know, he has gotten better defensively. And one area that he's really good defensively is transition. His speed can make up for any potential, you know, physical limitations that he might have. Uh, In transition, he's back ASAP. Uh, So I think for Norris and Hart right now, um, he's he's got a case. But the one guy that I would say that the Canucks, if they're going to have a team MVP conversation and after 60 games or 70 games, uh, I think Thatcher Demko is going to have a larger role to play in this conversation just based on uh, the schedule getting tougher. And Thatcher is kind of flying off uh, under the radar right now, but he's still having a magnificent season. So I could see his stock rising even more. So lots of MVP candidates on the Canucks this season. Uh, My MVP is that logo behind you on the nameplate, the electric (laughs) skate. What are the chances, buddy, that that could one day again become the primary logo for the Canucks? Okay, no inside information here, boys. I'm sorry. But uh, if I had my vote, that'd be the number one jersey. There's an element of sure nostalgia i'm of that generation but when you look at that jersey and i've talked to players i wear it they just feel like two times bigger two times meaner two times faster that that's an actual you know i remember having this conversation with a couple of guys connor garland not exactly a, a, the biggest player out there but he's like yeah no we we feel different when we were jt miller said the same thing um i i love that jersey and the white one is actually just as nice if you know if they ever make that switch so i hope they make that switch it's a little nostalgia for me but when you look across the league you know what jerseys really stand out to you as being wow that one pops or that one is like that that one is tier one jersey that jersey to me is a tier one jersey hopefully they bring it back i would agree um, I'm a huge fan of broadcasts that cater to a, a specific demographic that isn't the norm for hockey. I've done stories in the past on Spanish language broadcasts in places like Los Angeles and and for the Coyotes fans. Um, give give our, our viewers and listeners a sense of what Hockey Night in Punjabi means to that community and, and, and any, the interactions you've had regarding what it does mean to that community. Yeah, we've been uh, really proud to work on this show. I go back to about 2014, but the show's been around since 2008. And really what's been created here uh, through the show and the show's a vessel is, you know, there's always been a love of hockey in the Punjabi community across Canada. There's a rich history here in British Columbia where I live, where you have players from the 60s and 70s 
Um, so to me, more than anything, guys, it was, you know, just a, a way to kind of bring up multiple generations together. And when I look at, you know, what we've been able to do, I'm really proud of that. And just to give you an example, we get people from, you know, all over Canada saying, previously, my child used to watch hockey and it was, there was a solo kind of uh, solo act for them, where now you're able to bring in multiple, multiple generations uh, to sit together to watch our show, which means a lot. Uh, but on top of that, kids that are born here that might be second, third generation um, are learning Punjabi through our show, which is, you know, an amazing thing for me as somebody who grew up, you know, speaking the language. If I'm able to help reconnect some of my folks uh, from our community to the language, which has given me so much, uh, that's amazing, not only from a sports perspective, but also just from a cultural perspective. So, uh, the you know, to be able to connect people to the game is one thing. To connect people to the culture uh, is has another layer to it altogether. That's awesome, Randeep. I love to hear it and would love to have you back on the show. Randeep Janda joining us here on The Drop. Thanks for your time, buddy. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Take care and keep smashing it. <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> As this is an individual personnel matter, I will not be, be able to disclose any details related to the initial reporting, investigation, or the findings. However, I do want to be very clear on this one point. This does not involve any players or their families, and anything that suggests otherwise, or anyone that suggests otherwise, is wildly inaccurate, and frankly, it's disgusting. That was Blackhawks general manager Kyle Davidson addressing Corey Perry being waived for the purposes of termination uh, due to, quote, unacceptable conduct uh, within the Blackhawks organization. Uh, Wish, what more can you tell us? Well, I mean, watching Davidson in that press conference was an adventure. I mean, he was extremely emotional about the way that things had gone down in the last week and the pressures applied on him, his organization and, and some of his players. Um, they, he said it's a workplace matter. Uh, he said there's no criminal aspect involved in Perry's dismissal. Um, and, uh, sources told our friend, Emily, Emily Kaplan, that Perry traveled with the team to Columbus last Tuesday and a day before their game against the blue jackets, there was an incident that occurred that involved the team employee, uh, Davidson Perry, who did not play in the team's loss was immediately pulled from the game. Once the Blackhawks were notified, um, the story took on a life of its own in a lot of ways this week. What was your reaction to the reaction to the Perry story, Arda? Uh, I, I like that Kyle Davidson, uh, uh, he, I thought he said the right things, what we needed to know uh, in the press conference. I thought it was very unfortunate. He even said, like, the rumors that have been out there uh, regarding this story are disgusting. Uh, and we still don't necessarily know the sources of these rumors, right? Like sometimes rumor and innuendo take a life of their own online uh, that are unfounded. And so I, I think it's a lesson for us to be careful on what we spread around, especially on social media. What you're talking about is media literacy, which is to, which is something that should be taught in every high school in North America uh, the idea of uh, people are now very online and they should know where their information is coming from and how to find out where it is coming from. For example, while people were cracking jokes about Perry and certain situations when he was dismissed from the team during Thanksgiving week, um, the main rumor that really took off this week was started by a Vancouver fan 
who shared a text chain conversation wherein somebody repeated the accusation and said, quote, it was secondhand from a current TSN employee. Okay. So that's the impetus for what took off this week. The original source of the rumor deactivated his Twitter, deactivated his Instagram, deactivated his Facebook accounts after lamenting how the rumor blew up. So we kind of know the source of where the big wave of rumor mongering and gossip came from, the the reason it ended up on TMZ, the reason that people in all of our lives who don't follow the NHL on a day-to-day basis are probably texting you or calling you and saying, is this thing about Corey Perry true? It started with a, a rumor on Twitter and it took off from there and to the point where the Blackhawks and Kyle Davidson had to address it in the press conference uh, this week. Um, what did you feel about the Blackhawks in this whole situation? Because one of the things that's been said about them is they weren't transparent enough, quick enough, thereby creating a vacuum, thereby allowing a rumor like this to fester. I think that it's uh, that comes with the history of the organization, the recent history, certainly uh, with the Kyle Beach situation. And so um, a lot of people uh, were maybe nece- not necessarily willing to, you know, give them a longer rope in, in any other situation, no matter what it might have been. Uh, that could have been the perception there. Um, I think that in many ways, their hands might have been tied. We, we don't know exactly what's happening behind the scenes. There could be an internal investigation happening. You know, Kyle Davidson addressed what he could address and said what he he could say. And so we don't have the full information there uh, just based on what is being reported. That That's that's what I gleaned from it, at least at yeah. first glance initially. Well, what did you, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, my reaction to that reaction was tell me you've never dealt with human resources on a sensitive employee issue without telling me you've never dealt with HR on a sensitive employee issue. I mean, this thing happened on a Tuesday. Thanksgiving was the next few days. The weekend was the next couple of days. It was an ongoing investigation. I understand the idea that, you know, people want information and they think that by getting information, it might have stopped this thing from spreading. But I mean, it's, it involves a contract termination. It involves an employee no organization is going to be like, we better rush information out there before the internet makes up something. Like, they're not going to do it. The the other thing about the Blackhawks, obviously, is like you said, they the, their reputation um, and the fact that so many people didn't even believe when they did put out information because they've not earned the benefit of the doubt. And I, I tend to agree with it. Like, I am one of these people that despite the changeover in personnel, despite um, you know there being from the ownership down different people there than than were there during the Kyle Beach thing, I'm somebody who still kind of side eyes that organization. But this is how you earn the benefit of the doubt, okay? By showing that there are mechanisms in place uh, that are going to catch this kind of behavior, maybe prevent this kind of behavior, and deal with this kind of behavior in a, in a swift manner. Um, this is understanding. Something about inappropriate conduct and power dynamics, probably, that they clearly didn't understand over a decade ago. So if you're somebody who is skeptical about the Blackhawks, by all means, they haven't earned it yet. But this is the kind of thing that I think will eventually earn it. And I think that Kyle Davidson and the team handled handled this as best as they could and as quickly as they could and, and should, you know let's see what they do the next time. (laughs) But for now, I think this is a a positive step for the organization. You're listening to The Drop with Greg Wyshynski, Ardo Ocal, every Tuesday, Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
as well as the NHL and ESPN YouTube. Why don't we end the show uh, with a little bit of a quarter mark of the season lightning round wish. I'm going to ask some questions and you give me some answers. In terms of the quarter mark of the season wish, the best team in the NHL is... Well, the glory of this question is that if you asked, if if you had asked me a week ago, I probably would have said Vegas, but I'm not going to say them anymore. I would have said, maybe said Boston, but I'm not going to say them anymore. I I respect the job that Vancouver has done, but the best team in the NHL blank to fill in the blank, I think it's the Los Angeles Kings. I really do. Like they are the top team in the league and expected goals against. They have been undefeated on the roll on the road in their first nine road games. Um, they are absolutely stacked. And and I wrote about this in my column uh, today regarding bold predictions before the season that may or may not be coming true. Um, the idea that they could do what Vegas did last year by signing a goalie like Cam Talbot and hoping that the team in front of him was so good that all they need is for him to not be mediocre. I mean, I I think that's proof of concept through the first quarter of the season. What do you what do you say? Who's the best team in the league right now? And and Cam Talbot was one of the best goaltenders in November, also. So yeah. like he yeah. like could be the best goaltender in November. So uh, I would put the Canucks up there. I think that they've shown enough that uh, at, even if if as we're talking today, if LA has the edge, Vancouver maybe more than any other team in the NHL has the potential to to grab that top spot especially if all their positions are firing on all cylinders. And actually, you you made a good point about Quinn Hughes, right? Like, it, it was kind of almost a joke, like the NHL is becoming a Hughes Brothers film, you know? Like, the, Quinn Hughes is going to win the Norris, and Jack, <laughs> Jack Hughes is going to be <laughs> win the Hart Trophy, right? But, like, that's a good point about, like, Quinn Hughes and the Hart. Like, that's not that much of a stretch. No. It's not, it's not a leap, giant leap. And 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 you kind of nodded to it as well, like the, the how crazy it is that you could have two defensemen with stronger heart cases than than half the forwards and Kale McCarr with the Avalanche and and Quinn with the with the Canucks. But yeah, I mean they don't they don't hand out the heart typically to defensemen, but uh, maybe they'll have to make. Ah uh, well. Okay. Um, next question here. Next question yeah. for you is this: the first quarter MVP. So who would you give the Hart Trophy to today? So. Uh, Artemi Panarin was very high on my list of considerations. Nikita Kucherov, very high on my list of expectations. But there's always one thing I like to look at when it comes to the Hart Trophy, and it is the distance between a team's leading scorer and the second-place scorer. And as I looked at it recently, the the gap between David Pasternak and whoever is second on the Boston Bruins is pretty significant. And so I would give the heart to Pasternak right now. I think the Bruins obviously have been, for the most part, before a recent skid, really solid defensively, great goaltending, best tandem in the league. But the question was, after all the defections in the summer, could they still put the puck in the net? Pasternak answered that question on his own. He's been fantastic. He's my MVP. Yeah, I would have, I mean, Panarin is an obvious choice just based on the points, the point streak, the longest point streak to start a season in Rangers history. Uh, you know, he's just racking it up. But I will say a lot of Rangers fans are, you know, okay, this is familiar to us. Artemi Panarin, great in the regular season. Like, let's see it happen in the postseason. Uh, there are some questions being asked by Rangers Town uh, in that regard. So uh, the next, we've already gotten one coach dismissed, Dean Evison gone with the Wild, John Hines in. The next coach fired in the NHL will be 
Okay. Oh boy, hold on. Let me let me sit up straight. That that okay insinuates. I'll go. I'll go. Sheldon Keith. I'll go. Sheldon Keith. I, I I feel like the the pressure on the Leafs to be much better than they are, and and what they are is a team that has one of the single lowest regulation win totals in the NHL so far this season is so intense. He's got a general manager that didn't hire him. Uh, that's always kind of a thing you have to take into consideration. I I'll say Keith. I mean, I know DJ Smith is probably the logical answer in Ottawa, but I'll, I'll go Sheldon. Yeah, that's uh, and he has been quite heated behind the bench in recent games. Uh, so tensions could absolutely, I, I honestly, that if, if that team does not do well, and I'm not just saying make the playoffs, I'm not even just saying win around like in my head and tell me if I'm way off base here, conference final appearance at minimum to me seems like the Mendoza line. Like another second round exit to me feels like wholesale changes for that team. I, I'll say this about it, man. Like it 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 is a tough division. I mean, like like you got if you don't. Yeah, finish but look first, at that team, though. I know. Look at that team. Look, but 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 look at the goaltending. Look at the defense. Look at the Bruins. Look at the Lightning, who are you know not going anywhere quite yet. The Panthers are incredible. Like it's a very tough division. I, I my bold prediction was that they would win two playoff rounds. I'm I'm a little skittish on that prediction right now, to be honest with you. What do you think about? I don't see. This is the thing. Like I, I was going to say, John Cooper, right? But like the Lightning are good. They're going to remain good. Like, is he in a situation where it's almost like he will just choose when he wants to go? Like, is that going to be a rare occurrence where he decides, you know what, my work here is done? No, and I'll I don't go think so. I don't think so. I, I I think it'll be mutual. I don't think he's going to get fired, right? But he's I think it will be yeah. that mutual. It's time for both of us to get a fresh start type thing. And, and if and if that qualifies for you as him leaving on his own accord, I, I'm sure. But I think it'd be like a an organizational decision that will allow him to not be fired. Is probably With what that- would happen. With that said, it's funny that we were saying this with Vasilevsky out and them getting the goaltending that they got until Vasilevsky came back. And we're like, hmm, John Cooper. No, no, no. Wait a second. Hold on. Everything is fine again in Tampa. <laughs> yeah. No problems. Yeah, we, we had to slowly move the, the chair away from the desk during intermissions on ESPN that had Cooper's name on it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> alas, <laughs> yeah, he's still coaching. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and hopefully, he comes back on the show. He was a great guest last season, so yeah. hopefully, he uh, returns. That does it for us here on the drop. Thank you so much for listening and rating and reviewing the show. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, audio format in the NHL and ESPN, YouTube. Enjoy the games this weekend, and we will see you on Tuesday. Bye. 